Van Riken Productions presents The Tome, Episode 4. Written by Gerald Van Riken. Performed by a full cast. Welcome back, dear listeners, to another thrilling chapter of The Tome. As we venture deeper into the heart of Twin Rivers, our heroes unwittingly find themselves embroiled in a battle against an ancient evil. The sinister book and its mysterious symbols have awakened malevolent forces that threaten to engulf the town in darkness. Our story gets ever more dangerous. With danger lurking at every turn, let us continue our journey. Cindy awoke with her head pounding. Maverick was awake and licking her face frantically. Night had fallen, and the house was bathed in darkness. She stumbled to a nearby lamp and clicked it on. She looked down in confusion as she found a knife wound in her shoulder, blood leaking slowly. The black-robed figure lay prone at the foot of the stairs, and to her horror was missing a massive chunk of the top of their head. She couldn't identify them. She stumbled to the bathroom to retch before grabbing bandages from the medicine cabinet for her shoulder. What the fuck? Once her wound had been dressed, she immediately jumped into her pickup, Maverick hopping in the back like a good boy, and she tore out of her driveway. She had to get to the station collect Ray, and get to the hospital. Things were getting out of hand. She crashed through the door of the station and stumbled to the nearest phone, not even bothering to notice that there was no officer at the front desk. Her loyal dog trotted in behind her, not understanding why they were at work right now. She picked up the receiver and pounded the number to Detective Graham's house. The line didn't ring made no sound whatsoever. The phone lines were dead. Then she heard Maverick barking frantically from deeper into the building. She staggered into the office and nearly fell backwards, letting out a shriek of horror. The entire office was filled with corpses. Mutilated bodies scattered the floor. One officer had been fully crucified against a far wall. The smell of death was everywhere. The sight of so many corpses brought the gorge immediately to her throat. Who or what could have done all this? And why? Where was Detective Graham? She began to feel dizzy from the shock. Cindy screamed again and fled. She thrust the key into the ignition. The truck wouldn't start. She tried again and again. Screaming in frustration, she got out of the truck, went around to the bed, and pulled a shotgun from a lockbox in the back, along with a belt of ammunition. Whatever was going on, she wasn't being caught off guard again. Weapon in hand, Officer Cindy Henley marched resolutely towards Ray's house, her mind racing with fear and uncertainty. 
Ray came to consciousness to find the back of his head pounding. Whatever had hit him had not pulled any punches. A brief attempt at moving revealed that he was tied hand and foot, laying on his side on a hard, wet floor. Dim lights flickered on the concrete walls of the room he was in. The air smelled awful, stinging his eyes in the back of his nose and throat. Good. You're awake. The detective squirmed and rolled over to face the direction the voice had come from. Where am I? Who are you? You're in a safe place. For now. And as for who I am, I am but a humble servant. Servant of who? The others, of course. You should know, shouldn't you? You've seen their writing at least twice now. Why am I here? We can't have you getting in the way of the others. You know far too much. Once we have your little companion and that old man, no one will stand in our master's way. Ray was confused. The others? The professor had said something to that effect. Why hadn't they gone back and questioned him more? What's the connection with the book? You're... a prisoner. I suppose it wouldn't hurt to brag a little bit. The book is the Tome of Other. An ancient book from a lost civilization that worshipped beings known as the Others. It was said that the book was used to seal the Others away by priests of jealous gods. The Others are creatures of destruction. Their hunger endless. When that fool, Edgar Marshfield, found it at auction, we were ecstatic. We had been searching for it for years. The book possessed the will of the others, and had the ability to overtake one's mind for their own ends. It ensnared Marshfield in its thrall, made him paranoid. He tried to flee with the book, and that's when we struck. We left the body cut up in the river as a warning. We then stashed the book in the bookstore, knowing that Hawthorne would be in eventually, and would find it irresistible. Now that the professor has brought our masters back to this world, our victory is sealed. Ray knew that he had to get out of there. Thinking fast, he decided on a plan. If you really wanted to seal your victory... You may want to grab the second book. Second book? Yeah, the second book I have in my back pocket. I'm surprised you didn't find it when you took me. It's smaller than the first, but really important, I bet. The sounds of footsteps echoed through the room as the source of the voice stepped into the light. A tall figure, its face and form shrouded in a black cloak, approached him slowly. Ray couldn't believe that worked. The figure stopped about a foot from his prone form. You can't honestly believe I'd be that stupid, can you? No, but you're over here. <laughs> they collapsed to the floor, and the detective immediately rolled on top of them. He headbutted the figure as hard as he possibly could, and the struggling form beneath him went still. With his hands being tied in the front, Ray was able to search the figure's robes, 
and found a fancy-looking ceremonial dagger, which allowed him to cut his bonds with a little effort. Pulling back the figure's hood revealed the face of Rick Dempsey, the local butcher. In Rick's robes, he also found his gun and his badge. Thank God. Oh, Rick, you idiot. His head still pounding, ankles and wrists burned from the tight ropes, Ray struggled to get his bearings. In the dim light, he looked up and saw a large metal grate in the ceiling. It was rusted and worn. He sniffed the air again. Now that he could pay attention, he recognized the odor. Sewage. He was in a cistern somewhere below the town. Twin Rivers had once been slated to expand into a true city, to rival even Indianapolis. Tons of infrastructure had been laid down, including a state-of-the-art sewer system. Unfortunately, due to budget cuts and corporate greed, all construction came to a halt and never resumed. Ray eyed the tunnel that the voice had come from. Not his ideal way to get out, but that grate wasn't going to move. He set off into the dark of the sewers, determined to find his way out. He tiptoed through the tunnels, avoiding the murky waters. He didn't want to stink any worse than he already did. Even in near total darkness, he was able to quickly find a ladder leading up to a manhole. Bracing his shoulders and hands against it, he shoved the heavy iron disc out of the way and climbed out onto what he noticed was Maple Street, not far from where he and Cindy had entered the woods the other day. He assumed this was not a coincidence. He checked his watch. 11.32 p.m. He had to find Cindy and get this figured out. While he doubted this whole story about the others, something bad was definitely happening in Twin Rivers, and the two of them were the only ones who knew enough to act in time. As he rounded a corner onto Sycamore Road, he heard the sounds of a man screaming. It was coming from Glenn's book nook. He tore off in that direction, following the screams. When he arrived, he wasted no time. He cocked the hammer on his pistol, braced himself, and kicked the door with all the strength he had left. What he saw horrified him. Glenn lay on the floor, eyes wide, his voice having clearly died from all the screaming, staring mouth agape as a shadowy figure approached him, getting closer and closer. Hey you! The figure turned, and Ray's heart nearly failed. The figure seemed to be wearing some sort of leather bird mask, like those old plague doctors. But as it turned, the seams of the beak opened like a flower blooming, revealing many rows of jagged, sharp teeth and a whip-like tongue. It released an unearthly shriek, and the detective wasted no time in opening fire. Instead of taking the bullets and falling to the ground, the creature disappeared in a whirl of black smoke, seeping into the floor of the building and disappearing. Graham ran to Glenn. You all right, Glenn? No, Ray, not all right. What the ever-loving fuck was that? I'm not sure, but we have to move. I agree. Let me get Bradley. I told him to hide when we heard someone breaking in. Glenn walked upstairs to the small apartment above the store that he shared with his husband, and several moments later, 
he returned with a chubby, ginger-bearded man in tow. He seemed a bit sleepy still, and his eyes looked red from crying. He was still wearing his pajamas, which were a bright blue, with pictures of dinosaurs all over them. Bradley, good to see you again. Hi, Detective. What the hell is going on? I don't know, but we need to get to the hospital. The hospital? Long story. Come on. Hold on. Glenn went behind the shop counter and reached into a drawer, drawing forth a small snub-nosed pistol. Why do you have a gun? For exactly this moment, I'm not totally helpless. That thing just caught me off guard is all. Ray smirked. Glenn was a kind and gentle soul, but he knew from experience that when pushed, that calm demeanor vanished and a real scrapper came out. All right, let's go. The night was pitch black as Officer Henley approached the Graham house, clutching the shotgun tightly in her trembling hands. The dread she felt was palpable, knowing that whatever it was that had already claimed so many lives could be waiting for her just around the corner. With each step, the crunch of gravel seemed deafening, echoing through the stillness of the night. Cindy's heart raced as she approached the door, praying that Ray was unharmed. She tried to ignore the gruesome images of the station and the lifeless bodies that haunted her thoughts. Ray, are you in there? It's Cindy. Please be okay. The scene inside was eerie. The lights were off. She tried a switch. Nothing. Cindy tiptoed through the darkened rooms, her eyes scanning for any sign of danger. She couldn't find Ray anywhere. There didn't seem to be any signs of a struggle. She checked the master bedroom upstairs. Diane was sound asleep, apparently not having been disturbed. Maybe whoever was responsible for this hadn't gotten him yet, but she had a lurking feeling that wasn't the case. She strode from the house, not sure where else to go. If Ray was alive and safe, she figured he might head to the hospital to talk to Professor Hawthorne to try and make sense of all this. So off she went. Ray, Glenn, and Bradley had taken off down the road, and some twenty minutes later found themselves at the entrance of St. Genevieve's Hospital once again. The automatic doors would not open, so the detective had to wrench them open by hand. No small task. He was exhausted, but instead of sitting down like he desperately wanted to, he forced himself onward, waving everyone in, pulling the doors shut once again, and locking them. The trio made their way through the hospital, ignoring the staff, who all bumbled about in half-darkness, the power having gone out. They could hear panicked voices as nurses and doctors rushed about. People were certainly in danger, with the power out and only a backup generator to save them. Nobody gave them a second look as they traversed the hospital. To room 35 they went, to find the professor still in his bed, wide awake and sitting up, chatting softly with one Cindy Henley. Maverick was close by. Ray! Thank God! You weren't at home! I thought someone got you! Someone did. Where's my wife? Did you bring her? 
Cindy looked at her shoes sheepishly. I'm sorry. I was in a panic state. I thought she'd be safer at home. I locked the doors on my way out. Damn it! <sighs> okay, we'll talk about that later. We need to get to her. Leave the dog. Boy, do I have some shit to tell you. Diane Graham rolled over in her sleep, dreaming fitfully. Sweat formed on her brow, and she clutched at her bedsheets. Diane found herself running down a long hallway, its walls unadorned, dreadfully empty. She had no idea how long she'd been running for, but her legs were getting heavy, so heavy. She heard the voice again from ahead of her, the voice that she was desperately trying to make it to. Mommy? Where are you, Mommy? Diane continued running frantically. It was her baby, her sweet little baby. She thought they had lost him, but he was so clearly there, just ahead. She'd be able to see him soon. Then everything would be okay again. She and Ray would be okay. They'd have the family they wanted so badly. She ran onwards, and to her relief, the tunnel eventually ended, and she found herself in a white... room? It was definitely some sort of space, but she could not make out any walls or ceiling. Standing some distance away, with his back to her, was a little boy in blue overalls. Toby, Toby baby, come to mama. The little boy turned towards the sound of her voice, and she saw that instead of a shining little boy's face, the child wore a leather mask resembling a bird. She was confused by this. Why didn't you save me, mommy? I died because of you. Why did you let me die? I'm sorry, sweetie. I'm, I'm so sorry. I couldn't do anything. Then it's your turn, mommy. Diane was startled awake by something crashing in a room downstairs. She sat bolt upright, fear stamped across her face, heart pounding. After hearing more motion from downstairs, she was able to focus enough to reach beneath the bed and produce an aluminum baseball bat that Ray had bought for her. She carefully slipped out of bed, opening the door as quietly as she could. More sounds from downstairs. Voices. More noise of things being tossed about. She crept her way down the hall, and the voices became clearer. Search every drawer, every cabinet. We need to find the book. Why are we searching this guy's house, though? We gotta search every house. The book appeared somewhere in town. Elder Winslow says that without the book, we can't control the others. Without the book, they'll continue to hunt until the planet is dead. Diane was confused. Book? Others? Where was Ray? Many thoughts raced through her mind as she approached the top of the stairs. At the bottom, she saw a person wearing a black robe standing at the base of the stairs, their back to her. As quietly as she could, she crept down, bat in hand. She was not one to wait helplessly.
The figure's conversation was loud enough to cover the sounds of her breathing. To her horror, when she was about a foot from the figure, a stair creaked under her foot, and the figure made to turn around. In a panic, she swung the bat with reckless abandon. The figure crumpled into a pile on the floor as Diane stood there, breathing hard, hair wild and messy, adrenaline coursing through her. Darren? Darren, what happened? A second figure appeared in the doorway of the living room, but Diane was already moving, spurred on by her anxiety and the rush of all that was happening. They folded like a cheap suit. That's what you get. If there was one thing she knew, it was that she had to leave. Ray was gone, probably working late at the station. She tried the house phone. The line was dead, probably cut by the robbers. She had to find her husband. Rushing upstairs, she threw on the first outfit she got her hands on. She left the crumpled figures on the ground and dashed from the house, making her way towards the police station to find her husband. Join us next time as we delve deeper into the heart of darkness and witness the thrilling next chapter in this gripping tale of horror and heroism. Until then, dear listeners, brace yourselves for the unimaginable and be ready to face the others. <laughs> <laughs>